Good to see everybody today. We are kicked off into a series called Enough. Steve kicked us off last week, and it comes from the book of John. And what we're doing in John is taking out the I am statements of Jesus or certain things that he, he proclaims that he is, and then we're measuring them back to ourselves, considering how does everything that Jesus says that he is, right, how does that meet a particular need in my life? So today, what we're working on is Jesus says that he is the light of the world, and we're going to see how that meets our need for direction. I think there's probably any of us in here that would say, nope, got it all figured out. I'm in no need of direction whatsoever. And in this particular case, Jesus said, I'm going to light up the path for you to take. Now, if you're like me, um, this series has the potential to raise Jesus up on the list of your life. And I know that we're not supposed to think of Jesus as a particular category or something. But if we're honest, we probably all come into a Sunday morning service and our minds and our lives are full of all kinds of things other than him. So here's a little bit of mine, my stuff, um, things that are on my mind in my life. And the first one is work and job and money. Like how am I going to get everything to the finish line every week? And, And then all the frustration that comes with trying to get it to the finish line. And even though the whole thing is frustrating, all the time, every week, then how can I somehow generate more? Huge amounts of mental energy for me every week. Also, change at home. We are five now at home instead of six. Emerson is off to Purdue. And that's a a good thing. We have spent the last 18 years getting ready for this moment, these moments that we're living right now. And we spent the last 18 years getting her ready. The part we forgot was to get ourselves ready. And that's what I didn't see coming. There's a sense of loss that I feel is very, very real. And I should have prepared myself for that. And it really hasn't gone away yet. Crazy. Now she's doing good and that's not the thing, but I I should have put more focus back there. And You know, that works on you. And it works on your spouse different than it works on you. And it's just a little, just a public service announcement when you're dealing with folks who've just sent their first off to college, give them a little more space because they're a bit crazier than they normally were. And that's only because they just don't know who they are right now. And it's a little bit different. Um... And football, for me, focused intensity over time equals momentum. I've told you that a dozen times, probably tell you a dozen more. Whatever you are focused on will have momentum in your life, period. It's just the way it's going to be, whether that's good or bad. And for me, that has been for this last season, football. They let me call the plays for the seventh grade this year at Bluffton, and I'm not sure if that's a blessing or a curse. But what do you do if they come out in a five-man front? And what if Adam Central changes from a five-man front to a four? Do you know what play to call? Because it matters where the defensive tackle is. What you want to do when you're calling the play is to put your boys in a position to to be successful there. So you have to think all those things through. And I have. You're like, that is pathetic. They are 12. 
I didn't say it was right. I just said, this is my list. And don't judge me. I mean, I've Googled this, how to beat a 4-4. And I know how, I do. But you have to, like, that's a Google search on my phone. But before you judge me, you have to give me your phone because you, you got something else right there too. You're researching something. It may not be the same thing. These things have momentum in my life. And then Jesus, I am not saying that he's not a part of my life. He is a part of my everyday. But am I living like Jesus is enough? Why well, am not? And maybe yours is similar. So here comes God through your local church to give you and me a series of messages about how Jesus is worthy of being way more central in your life than you're allowing him to be. And not only worthy of being central, but necessary. And I'm not going to make the case for Jesus. We're going to let his words make the case for how worthy and necessary he is to be there by getting to our next one. And here we go. This is John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The day he says this, John chapter 8, that's a very busy day. So the way he starts his day is walking down the street and he has to deal with a woman caught in adultery. Some, some of you know that story. He's walking down the road. She is caught in the act and they drag her from where she is out into the street at the feet of Jesus and say, the law requires that we hit this woman with stones until she is dead. What do you say? And Jesus says, well, I think the person who is without sin should throw the first stone. Like, oh, I didn't see that coming. And it says from the oldest to the youngest, they started to drop their stones and drop back. I think he says that for a reason, because uh, those of us who are a little bit older, like, listen, we know the rap sheet against ourselves, do we not? We're a little quicker to recognize, okay, I, I am definitely not the one to be throwing the first stone. And so then they all go away. That leaves just her and Jesus. And then he says to her, hey, knock it off. Do you know, we always skip that part of the story. But that's what he says. Stop it. You're, the pattern of sin in your life is wrecking your life. Stop it. Now he says, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. But right after he says that, he says, knock it off. And the command to knock it off comes right after. Now she's received. How can he press that to her? Because she's already received his undeserved favor. Listen, I don't condemn you, but I'm also going to tell you, stop it. That is the best play. I mean, that's the pattern right there. You can have commands, 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 and they're going to hit your heart and bounce off, and you're not going to do it until you get really in your heart God deals with me in a way that I do not deserve. And when you really get grace, that's when the command will really take root. That's when you're really going to see fruit come out of that. Don't do it because you already realize he's dealt with you in this way. Now I want to do what he says. That is always the pattern. Get the grace and then the command becomes something that you, almost, you love it, that you want to do it. So he says, hey, stop it. Later that day, 
And he makes his way to the temple, and he's standing out back by the treasury. So he's standing in the foyer by the offering boxes. So we've actually modeled the life center like the temple. Kidding, we didn't, but it's similar, all right? So he's out by the treasury, and in the foyer, they've erected giant light poles. I, I didn't know this, but as I've read about this and what was going on that particular day, Jesus most likely is standing out by the treasury in the foyer. They called it a certain court out there. And in this court are erected huge light poles. Here's a description of those lights. It says, each candelabra had four branches, and at the top of every branch there was a large bowl. Four young men bearing 10-gallon pitchers of oil would climb ladders to fill the four golden bowls in each candelabra, and then the oil in those bowls was ignited. But that was an exciting time. <laughs> 75 feet on a ladder, lighting a giant bowl of oil. Sounds like a job for my boys. <laughs> okay, now light it. <laughs> I think we have 75-foot Four light poles. I didn't know they did this. So you have 16 beautiful blazes leaping towards the sky with these golden lamps. And the temple, so this is all taking place at the temple, is on a hill. So the rest of the city, all of Jerusalem, can see what's going up. So this is underneath these lights. Here's what's interesting. That it's underneath these lights that Jesus most likely spoke, I now am the light of the world. Here's what's going on. Here's the reason for the light poles. It's the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So God gave his people, this would be the Jews, seven feasts throughout the year to participate in, and the idea of each feast was to cause them to remember how good he had been to them. Now, God still does that sort of thing. If you jump it ahead, he still gives his people a meal to celebrate to cause them to remember how good he has been to them. The meal that he gave us is called communion. So the reason that the more things change, the more God stays the same is that he realizes that we still forget how good he is to us. And he knows that we have to remember. So he gives us something very tangible to remember. Now, this feast was... It was supposed to cause them to remember this. Feast of Tabernacles was that when they were first delivered from Egypt, they lived in tiny tents or tabernacles, right? After they were, you know, the parting of the Red Sea, let my people go. Right there, they end up in the desert and they have tiny little huts. They have tiny little huts and they have nothing. They are nothing and have nothing. But does God leave them there? No, he, he guides them then through the desert from a nothingness, guides them through the desert, by a cloud during the day and a light by night, a fire by night, to a promised land that has everything. So they were going from nothing to everything I have for you, and who led them? God led them the whole way. Now when they get there, they upgrade. No more tiny tabernacles. Now it's a home, a homestead, a house, fields, farms, flocks, and God blessed it. So they went from, and that's where they are now, but they went from nothing to something. Now they have barns and they are full. So this feast was a, it was a huge celebration. It was supposed to cause them to remember this. We had nothing and now we have barns that are overflowing. And who was responsible for all of it? Who did it all? God did because he's been so good to us. So this was a reminder that Underneath these lights was a massive party. And the reason it was at the treasury, it was 
Feast of Tabernacles was on the, uh, it was during harvest time. It's actually going on right now where they would take from their barns and who filled those barns? God filled those barns. And you take from those barns and you bring tithes and offerings to say thank you and you take them to the treasury and they lit the whole thing up so they could have the party under lights. What's awesome is, I mean, a historian said, if you have not seen the Feast of Tabernacles, you have not seen true rejoicing. It was just awesome. Everybody was there. And here's what's cool. In the city, everyone could see because of the lights and hear the people underneath those lights think the God of the Bible is awesome. Pretty cool. Underneath those lights, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, it's not disconnected. It's tied to the feast. What are they celebrating under those lights? That God was so good, he took them from nothing to something. And how did he do it? He lit up the sky so that they would go. And Jesus is saying, all right, hey, I'm the new light. I am the light from heaven. And I'm going to take you from where you are in nothingness to everything that God has for you. Follow me so you don't walk in the dark. I'm the light of the world. Follow me. Now, I don't want to focus on that so much on this is what God has in store for us, and if we follow Jesus, then we're going to get this. I want to focus more today on, well, what sort of light is he? I mean, if Jesus says he's the light of the world, then here's my question to you, then what has he helped you see? If Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and we're talking about Jesus as a light, then what has he helped you see? You're stumbling around in something, maybe, but you've heard, this is how it works, you come to gatherings like this and you hear who Jesus is. You hear the stories of what he's done. You hear what he said. And somehow what you've heard and what you've read has lit something up for you. You're like, oh, I didn't get that. I was struggling with it and now I get it. What has he lit up for you? I mean, why call him a light if he hasn't lit anything up for you? Now, I don't know how you would answer that. Some of you could answer right away. Some of you, maybe not so much. I'm going to answer it by what I see him lighting up for people in the word. If you follow Jesus through the scripture, and I would recommend that. Here's a great takeaway for today. Become familiar with Jesus, who he says he is, and the things that he said and did. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Just put it in there. Because all of it eventually is going to be light for you, but just put it in there. But if you follow it, every time he meets someone, he's lighting something up for them. Because he's revealing God and truth and how things are. And so if you look at those interactions, some of them become very clear. The first one I want to look at is Jesus, without a doubt, lights up how to be right with God. And this one we see in multiple places, but the one I'll look at comes from a guy named Nicodemus. And this is early in the book of John, John chapter 3. Nicodemus is a preacher. He's a teacher. He's a he's a a man in, in spiritual authority over this group of people. And he had something ingrained in him as he was growing up, and that thing was the law. It was the commands of God and the things that God requires. Those things would have been written on his doorpost. They would have been written on his gates around his house. So every time he comes in and out of the door, he's getting the commands of God. Every time he goes through the gate to school, he's getting the commands of God. Things like, thou shall have no other gods before me. Last thing he saw on his gate, like, no other gods before me. And then he's off to school. It's in his mind. 
On his doorpost would be like, there's going to be people that are going to carve things out of wood and pray to them. Don't do that. That's stupid. That's a paraphrase of the second command. Listen, God made the tree that they carved it out of. He's alive. That's not. Don't do that. That's written on his doorpost. Don't take the name of the Lord God in vain. You honor his Sabbath. You, do, you take a day off and you rest and you don't work and you worship him. Honor your father and mother. All that's just over and over and over again. So when he grows up and he preaches, what comes out? Rule, stuff. Like, stop it. A whole lot of messages on stop it and do this and thou shalt not. But they took it even a step further so they would start to look into it. Like, for instance, the command, don't work on Sunday. Well, what does work mean? We have to know what work is and what work isn't. And so they would start to figure it out. This is actually some of the stuff they came up with. If on the Sabbath you spit, and that spit hits the dirt, and it moves the dirt. Sorry, I know it's gross, but they did this. This was like, this is what they did. If it moves the dirt, then that's a little bit like making a furrow in the dirt. And the only place you make a furrow is a field, and that's with a plow, and that certainly works. So if you spit and move dirt, that's work thou shalt not spit. And that was a mess. Like, you know, Nicodemus is preaching it. Gather it in. Don't spit on Sunday. Let's pray. That's... And I don't know that he was saying, I'm just saying that that's the sort of message that was coming from this guy. Because what does he want you to do? He wants you to be right with God. He doesn't want you to mess up. Does he believe he's right? Absolutely. Then Jesus comes along and he starts preaching something different. He says, comes on the scene and says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt for theirs is the kingdom. And he's like, what? I know people who are spiritually bankrupt. They're terrible sinners. Exactly. Because those people realize that there is nothing in them that's good. They can't possibly be right before God. And they just say, help. That's the, that's the entrance into the kingdom. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, pure on the inside, where no one else can see. Because where does God look? Does he look on the outside or the in? Looks on the in. That's where he's looking. And he's like, no, blessed are those who do all kinds of good stuff so people can see. That doesn't mean anything to God. As a matter of fact, Jesus even preached something similar to this. Don't be like Nicodemus. That's like a sermon point. He didn't use his name specifically, but don't be like the teachers of the law. Because they do all this stuff. They give at the treasury. But they wait until you can all see how much they give so you will say, wow, he's giving a lot. They pray a lot, but they only pray out there because they learned a new word this week and they want to impress you propitiation. I'm like, ooh, wow. I didn't, I've never heard that. He prays like that. He must be super spiritual. Guys, Thanksgiving's coming up. They're going to ask you to pray. Have you worked on your prayer yet? Because you know it's coming. Pull out, a, pull out a good one. Propitiation for our sins. Amen. I said, right. I used to show up late just so I wouldn't have to pray. So that's who's standing up here. All right? So here we go. He fasts. He fasts so you're like, oh, look how super spiritual he is. And that's what counts before God. And he's like, none of that counts before God. Here's what you do. You do all that stuff in secret. So the only person that knows is God. And when God sees you do it in secret, all that giving, all that praying, all that, all that stuff, then he knows that the one that you really care about is him. You don't care about anybody else. And that's how he'll know that your heart is right with him because he is the highest thing in your life. And it doesn't match. Now, here's what gave 
Jesus' message, authority. Right after he would stay, say stuff like that, he would go out and heal a hundred people of incurable diseases. You want to talk about putting a stamp on the message? So we're like, well, this guy can do stuff that this guy can't do. I'm going to listen to him. So Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night because he knows their messages don't line up. And Jesus knows why. It's a famous interaction. It happens at night. And Jesus, in this meeting at night, shine, he clears it up for him. So Nicodemus sneaks over, says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that's come from God, for no one can do the things and the signs that you do unless God is with him. But he's not getting to the point, so Jesus knows exactly why he's here, because he's in the dark on a single issue. How do you get entrance into the kingdom? And he says this, right after this, unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He's confused by that, like, how can I be born again, like, with it? Does it have anything to do with my mother? And he's like, has nothing to do with being born of water physically. Has everything to, be do, to do with being born from above, to be born spiritually. And God is the one that sends the spirit for that. In other words, he's saying salvation comes from God. God sends salvation down to you to be born from above. God does it. Salvation goes from God down to here. Salvation is not works from earth and say, here you go. How did I do? That's not salvation. You can't do it from this way up. It has to come this way down. And then he clears it up for him with this. I like this. He says, I mean, after he says, I, I can't believe you don't know these things. This is a quote from the Old Testament. Do we have that? Just Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I mean, that's it. Now, Nicodemus knows that story. That story comes from the Old Testament where God is leading his people by cloud and by light at night. And they come to a place, he says, I want you to go around this people, not through it. And the people are impatient. And they grumble. And they say, we're going to go through. And God says, if you do, it's going to go very, very badly for you. But they're impatient and they don't care. So they go through. And God causes vipers to come out of the sand and bite them. So they are snake bitten and dying. The severity of God, the severity of God towards sin is everywhere in the scripture. Never take it out. Don't cross him in that regard. But also then, as they're all snake bitten and dying, he provides a remedy. So there's always the mercy of God. But it's, a, it's the picture of both. The mercy of God is this. He tells Moses to take a bronze snake, put it on a pole, raise it up, and then spread this message through the people. If anyone but looks at the snake on the pole you will be healed. But the issue is this. So that word goes out. They're dying and they can't get better. And he just says, if you only believe. Now, does that sound strange to look at a snake? But what's the issue at hand? Do you believe what God is saying? Do you believe what he has said? And he has said, if you do this, this is the remedy that I have provided. Look at it. And those who believed actually moved and looked and were healed. He saved them. Where does salvation comes from? It comes from trusting in what God has said. This has been true all throughout. And Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as a righteousness. Believe, believe, believe. Nicodemus, do you know how? Salvation comes it is by belief, not works. And it's foreshadowing of me. God is going to lift me up. The Son of Man be lifted up. And he's going to say, spread this throughout the whole world. The remedy for your sin is my son crucified. There is my son come to take away the sin of the world. You must believe upon him. 
I sent it. Believe. That's how. He says, then maybe the most familiar words in all of Scripture, Nicodemus. This is who this was spoken to the very first time. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever believes will have eternal life. Believe. Some of you have wrestled with that and wrestled with that and wrestled. I know for a fact you have. You have tried and tried and tried to be good. And then somehow, some way, by the Spirit of God, who knows where the Spirit goes? That's what it says. Like, it blows. God is behind it. He moves it. And then all of a sudden you get it. And those of you who got it, you could probably take me to the place where you really got it. You are the freest people on the planet right now because you finally realize it's not about me. It's a gift. How many know it's a gift? It's a gift. And you're like, it's a gift. And now you can't really help telling anyone. You don't even have to be, no one even has to tell you to be an evangelist because you just can't help it anyway. It's a gift. You look tired. You look weary. It's a gift. Take the gift. It's the, that's good news. That's good news. That's how. He just lit it up for Nicodemus. Now he also says this. This is the verdict though. Light has come into the world, but men have loved darkness because their deeds were evil. So even though I can stand here and say, God sent his son to take away the sin of the world. He was going to attach the sin of the world to his son and pay for it and get it out of the way. You have only to believe. And you're like, ah, that's not big enough for me. It says men love darkness. Now, they don't come to it because they don't want to get to the light because it's not that they love being in the dark. Being in the dark is terrible. The only thing they like about the dark is it covers over how evil they are. And so they want to stay there, not because it's great to be there. Sin, it, it, will, it is not fun. At the, and in the long run, sin is terrible. I mean, it'll kill you. And you know it. And you don't want to stay there. You're just too afraid because you don't want to be exposed. That's why they loved it. I mean, there are men in here who have been involved in the atrocities of war, and they have taken life, and they sit in here, and they cannot believe that that is big enough. They have murdered. They have murdered, and they know it, and they stay away. There's no way they would ever give up here and give a baptism testimony of their, like, this is who I was, and this is what I did, because they don't want to be, they're afraid of judgment, and they have shame. I mean, that's going to, he says, this is the verdict. That's how it will be. The only thing we can say is just keep saying, no, it's big enough. Which leads us to the next one. There's something about you. You don't get God's posture towards you when you're wrapped in sin. And that's the other thing. Next thing, I think Jesus lights up all the time. What is God's posture towards the person who is wrapped in sin? What does the person who's wrapped in sin think that he's going to get from God? Mostly. And Jesus, un, he undoes that left and right. We've already talked about one. The first one is, um, it's the woman caught in adultery. When they drag her out into the street, what, do they th what does she think she's going to get? What does she think she can expect from God? If she thinks that she can get from the church leaders a stone, she absolutely believes that God's going to give her a stone too. But what does God give her? Grace and truth. Great, undeserved favor. God's posture towards the sinner is undeserved favor. He's not running away from you, and he's sure not going to hit you with a rock. He says, I came to the world not, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now, we talked about it. 
to get grace is not a free license to sin. He gives her grace and truth. Now go walk in this way. But his posture towards you is undeserved favor, even when you're wrapped in sin. Some of you don't believe it. But Jesus lights it up. He wants you to see it. I did not come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world to save it. If I shine a light, it's to save you, not to beat you up. Maybe some of you remember the story I told about Brandy and I. We rented that cottage on Lake Wawasee, and we were sitting out on the dock. It was all dark that one night. And there was a bunch of kids that jumped in on a little public landing down here, and they made their way through the water. There was a, a, a giant, like, trampoline, four-decker thing that some guy had, you know, floated out there in front of his cottage, and they wanted to come down and play on it, but they didn't know the dude, so they were just going to sneak out there and do it at night. We heard the whole thing. They couldn't see us. We heard the whole thing. We heard their names. We heard all their poor language. We heard the whole thing. They were abusing that thing. They were, and they broke it, and we heard it break, and they're like, oh, and then they said all kinds of bad things, and then they started, what? When you break something, you just move away from it. Wasn't us. So we got a light, and we went down a few docks more, and we could hear them moving across. Do you know how sound travels over water? Like, you can hear everything, everything. And we knew their names, and so we went down. And it wasn't a big light. It was big enough, and we flipped it on, and we're like, I see you, Andy. You know, like, we just heard him say Andy. So that's who we were like, I know your dad. You're going to pay for that. And what happened? What happened? They must have held their breath for 400 yards. So like, <laughs> pretty soon it went from chatter and poor language and all that stuff to like nothing. Like <laughs> Navy SEAL. <laughs> and that's what you think God's going to get you. Gotcha! Finally, come into the light so we can expose you all and embarrass you, all your nasty sins. Like, I came to save you, not to beat you up. God didn't come to bash you came to save you. And you stay away because you think the darkness is your friend and the best place you can be is to drop it. And that's all he's asking you to do. I'll take it from you, not beat you over the head with it. Can you hear that today? What is God's posture towards you if you are wrapped in sin? Do not run from him. Run to it. That's how good he is. And three, this is just... I believe this to be true. I think it's everywhere. Hundreds and hundreds of examples. Every time Jesus speaks, he's lighting something up for you on how to live your everyday life. The best thing you could do is just become familiar with all the things that he says. You do not have to be a Bible scholar. Just read it and put it in there because every ounce of it is meant to light something up for you. It's to show you a way forward. And all of us are going to get ourselves into jams. And when you're in a jam and you can't get out and you want tomorrow to be better than today, but you can't figure out how to get tomorrow to be better than today, Jesus lights it up. He does. Just the truth that he speaks about the way in which you should walk. It doesn't have to be the all-encompassing big things. Like, this is how to be right. It could just be the, how to deal inside of relationships. So some of you, right now, you're in a mess because you told a huge lie. 
and you got busted in that lie. Two weeks ago, your life was fine. You were living the lie, but then it came out and you got nailed in it. And now you hurt people and your life is miserable. And you want tomorrow to be better than today, but you don't know what to do today to make that better. And then you have, do you have any, anywhere within you something that Jesus has, has lit up for you? Like something as simple as this. Do unto others what you would have them do unto That's light. If you want tomorrow, if you're in a jam and you want tomorrow to be better than today, then you start right now. You do to others, those you wrong, you start doing to them. What do you want them to do to you? Then do that to them. Number one, start with not lying to them, but, but go just to not lie to them. Like build it up. What do you want coming back? You start to do that. And if you are stuck, if you start to do that to them today, your tomorrow is going to be a little bit better than today. I mean, it's for you. It's not a command to hold you down. It's like to get you out. If you have no idea how to get forward out of the mess you've created for yourself, think upon the things that he said. It's everyday life stuff that will get you. How can my life be a little bit better tomorrow than it is right now? Some of you are in a spot where something that people you love the most They crush you. And you're devastated. And you can't get out of it. You want to talk about momentum in your life. The only thing you can focus on is hurt. And it just, it just drills you right on down. And you do not how to, you don't know how to get from here to there. How in the world is tomorrow going to be any better than today? And you don't know. And Jesus lights up a way for you. You don't have to go this way, but he lights, you don't have to go this way, but he lights up a way for you. And that way would be, I think today what you ought to do is forgive. And if you forgive today, tomorrow will be better than today. And you don't want to, and you've got a thousand reasons why you shouldn't. And you want to get back and you want to even it. And you want, to, you want them to feel some of the pain that you feel. And so you don't have to go that way. But if you do, if you go today and say, like, just tell them everything. Like, you did this to me and you did this to me and you did this to me and you hurt me. But I forgive you. I'm going to, whatever penalty I was holding against you, I'm going to drop it. That is a sure way of making tomorrow better than it is today. And he's not asking you to do anything that you haven't already received. Here's a little motivation behind that. How many times should I forgive him? As many times as I've forgiven you. I'm only asking you to give what I've already done for you. If you're stuck in that, that's light. Some of you dads have been asleep at the wheel and you were supposed to be watching over your family. You are the spiritual leader of your family. And you're supposed to be fighting for them, looking out for them, stewarding them, and you just walked away from that 
And you just became sinful and selfish and just poured yourself into other things. And while you did that, your family blew up. It's just things happen. You're, it's a mess right now. So now you're over the spiritual leader of an absolute mess. And you don't know how to get out of it. You don't know how to get out. You know you probably caused it. God's made that clear to you. But you don't know how to get out. And in that, you're like, how can tomorrow be better than this mess today? And Jesus would come along and say something like, I think you should pray. Because that's where you were supposed to be anywhere. You're supposed to be up on the wall fighting for your family because you know that evil hunts you. You know it's going to fall apart. Get up there and fight. And that's where you're supposed to be. But you were too busy over here doing this, being selfish, and it got crushed. So get back up on the wall and pray. Simple. Though, though you are evil, do you know how to give good gifts to your children? This is what he says. Do you know how to give a good gift to your kid? So does God. But you don't have it because you haven't asked. Pray. Do you pray? I mean, do you see that as light? You stuck in your today and tomorrow? You just got to have hope for tomorrow. I mean, there, he does light it up for you. Now, now, you don't have to go that way. You can do whatever you want. You can stay whatever mess you're in, but that is not to say that Jesus hasn't shown you a way. We could go phrase after phrase after phrase. Everything that Jesus speaks shows you a way. He is light. Jesus says he's the light of the world. My wife wanted sweaters up from the basement. Um, she has a box of sweaters and it's that time so would you go get them so I went up and got them last night or whenever it was and put them on the floor of our bedroom and this morning walking across our bedroom in the dark as I hit the floor over the tote <laughs> I was reminded I hate walking in the dark <laughs> and you know what you don't have to walking in the dark is no fun and you do not have to because Jesus says he's the light of the world amen let's pray Lord thanks for being thanks for showing the way give us a want to and a willingness to follow it ask it in Jesus name and everybody said